0: Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, one of the the great passages in the New Testament that gives faithful Bible-preaching pastors um, a moment's pause before preaching. Let's uh, let's listen to the Word of God and... uh, um, labor as best as we can by His Spirit's power to conform ourselves to what He's commanded us to do. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. her husband. Let's pray. Oh Lord, would you please send your spirit to illumine our minds that we might understand and believe? We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. You can tell a lot about how a, a book or a pastor or a sermon handles we could call them inconvenient passages. The ones that kind of don't fit our own cultural moment in time and figure out what to do. (laughs) What do we do? What do we do? And it's interesting with passages like this, I'm going to throw a stone kind of maybe at our own camp, so to speak. The temptation is for evangelical pastors, confessional Presbyterian pastors, to, to preach this section of the Bible and to spend the entire time talking about what it doesn't mean instead of what it does. I don't know if you've ever heard that sermon. I'm, I'm sure I've honestly probably preached it at one point of just uh, to get to a hard passage and for the passage to die the death of a thousand nuances. Right? Well, I mean, it doesn't mean this, and it doesn't mean that, and it doesn't mean this, and it doesn't mean that, and it doesn't mean this, and it doesn't mean that. And by the time you get done, you're like, I don't, I don't actually know if it means anything at all. And this is one of those. Uh, for a number of reasons. One, because it has that dirty word of submission, uh, the great hated ethic in the American world. We, we hate the idea of submitting to anything. Uh, how dare you tell me, preacher, that I have to submit Uh, And so we want to take this and kill it, like I said, in that death of a thousand nuances or uh, loophole it into oblivion where it's completely meaningless. Uh, Our task tonight is uh, briefly to look at both husbands and wives uh, in the various sections here and and to actually see if we can take away a couple, not, not nuances of what it doesn't mean, but instead a couple of key points that it does mean, all right? That's going to be our task tonight. So, uh, Lord willing, hopefully three things for wives and then three things for husbands, assuming I don't confuse myself along the way at some point. First, in verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Um, The command is given, It's given uh, generically to Christian wives. It's not kind of uh, anchored in time that only applies to Ephesus, or like we read with Titus, only applies to Crete. This is uh, the Lord's design for Christian marriage. And already, we run into this kind of cultural inconvenience as we have a word submission thrown there in front of us. Wives, submit to your own husband's. And part of that is really because our culture, we really don't understand the concept of submission. Uh, Our nation, great nation, was founded so much on kind of uh, us defending, declaring, and fighting for our rights that that kind of ethos from the 1700s has really continued through to today, where so much of the American experience is this, well, you have to, to fight for your rights, you have to stand up for yourself. You have to show a little spine. I remember not, uh, not too long ago, I was, I was reading a, a parenting book, and it was talking about how really you can tell how a parent has nurtured a child when the child feels strong enough and, and comfortable enough, safe enough to fight back for their rights, to stand up against their parents. And I was like, well, I mean, certainly there's an element of truth to that, but there's, ooh, there's a real element of danger in that as well. Uh, So, kind of really, what a starting point is really verse 22 is what's being described here is a voluntary submission, not coercion. Uh, Hear that again, a voluntary submission, not coercion. Now, those two things are extremely different. Coercion is where somebody forces you to do a thing. You don't want to do it, and they make you, right? You stop in at the bank. I don't know whoever goes to the bank anymore, but for this illustration, you did uh, tomorrow. And uh, the bank robber stands behind you, pulls out the gun, and says, all right, everybody down on the floor. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to get down on the floor. Now, did you want to get down on the floor? No. Why are you doing it? Because the creepy gentleman behind you has the gun, and he's told you he's going it's, its under force. It's under duress. And you have to behave, otherwise consequences follow. It's a a coerced action. It's against our will. That's not actually what's being described here in any way. What's being described here is actually a voluntary submission. It, It is the wife actively taking on herself a function inside the marriage. She's not not having a gun against her back. It's not the husband making her do this. And in fact, actually, even we could say it's not the Lord himself making her do this. It's her hearing the command of God, choosing to bow the knee before him, and in doing so, submitting and obeying her husband. That's actually why you have that subordinate clause there in the first verse that's so significant. Wives submit to your own husbands. So, the submission is not this generic submission, right? It's not a ge- generic submission where you have to submit to all husbands, or even, we're not talking gender roles here of husbands and wives, Now, uh, or men and women. That's taken up in other parts of the Bible, so there are directions for that, namely 1 Corinthians, amongst other places, 1 Timothy, But what we're having here is a specific direction for how the home works. My wife submits to me. The men in here, your wives, submit to you. My wife does not submit to you and yours does not submit to me. That's that's not okay. (laughs) Because it's a voluntary commitment. And that's actually where you have this kind of, again, subordinate clause as to the Lord. We're not even, weirdly enough, this is an amazing thing to think about, the Lord, though he could, He has every right to do it, to coerce us into obedience, shockingly, he doesn't. This is one of those kind of just marvelous brain-melting things when you actually think about who God is, that the God who created the world out of nothing, who spoke it into existence, who made a dude out of the dirt and made his wife out of his ribs— and made him beautiful and lovely and wonderful and excellent doesn't force us into obedience. Now, he woos us into it. He gives us all sorts of motivations. He sometimes challenges us and sometimes even gives divine spankings, so to speak. But even then, it's not coerced. It's, he's constantly calling us, challenging us, Almost you could even say, this is a weird thing to say, but pleading with us at points. Because even there's a sense in which we can choose to learn the hard way, can't we? That's where we've been in Isaiah with a very long process of a nation that's chosen to flee from their God. He loves them so much, he brings them back. Their, their starting point here as we discuss husbands and wives is, is wives are, are committing themselves to a voluntary submission. It's, it's their choice to do this, and it's their pledge to do this to their husband. Okay. The natural tendency, I've had enough conversations about this, The natural tendency is to kind of, for guys to be like, well, obviously. And for women to go, well, I can't argue with the scriptures. So I'm going to bite my lip or bite my tongue. But even in my stomach, to have this little bit of a gnawing, like, you know, but that's kind of really not fair. Like, honestly, it's kind of really not fair. That I'm called to this voluntary submission, and he's not. And that's kind of not fair. Well, uh, God addresses that next, actually. <laughs> For the husband is the head of the wife. So it's now identifying, okay, so this voluntary submission is really a, it's dealing not with essence, not with ontology, the fancy philosophy, not with value or merit. It's not dealing with personhood. It's dealing with function. What we have here is an actual description of an authority structure, not a value structure. All right, do you know the difference with that? Uh, an authority structure is who is the boss and who is not for final decision-making process. A value structure is if I pull out my wallet and pull the different bills out in it, whichever one has the most zeros is the most valuable. If I have one that has no zeros, it's just a one, and I've got one that's got two zeros, I like that one a lot better than I do the one. It's worth more. It's more important, and it's more valuable. This is not a dollar bill conversation about which is worth more. It's not saying boys are better than girls. Right? And this is not, you know, elementary school where we're trying to be proud of our gender and rub the other side's nose in it. No, th- this is not that at all. What's being described here is an authority structure. Okay, when it comes time to actually have to navigate the complexities of life, we have the authority structure established—not the value, not the merit, not the dollar amount, so to speak—but the authority structure. And the authority structure is the husband is the head of his wife. And as explanation, this gets to this kind of not fair part, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of all of us. So where you want to go, well, that's kind of not fair. He doesn't have to submit. Wrong answer, actually. (laughs) Wrong answer, very much wrong answer. Because Paul's actual explanation is the way that you learn what submission looks like in the home is to look at the submission that all of us have to do to Jesus. Men and women, boys and girls, are all called to be submissive to Christ. We are called to obey Him, to voluntarily commit ourselves to Him, to delight in obedience to. And that's your model. It's, again, not coercion. It's not a discussion of value or if women are you know, better or worse than anything? No. It's their call is to submit themselves to Christ the same way, interestingly, I'm sorry, submit themselves to their husbands the same way, interestingly, that their husbands have to submit themselves to Jesus. What's getting at here is that everybody is submissive to someone. So this idea of like, well, it's not fair. Well, no, everybody's submissive. I love how the Westminster uh, Larger Catechism And when it deals, uh, the larger catechism questions dealing with honor your father and mother, it breaks those questions out into the duties and responsibilities of superiors and the duties and responsibilities of inferiors. And what they're kind of getting at is that every human in some fashion is submissive to somebody, and most humans are authority figures for somebody. You know, whether that be the, you know, the little sibling who's a year younger, you're their authority figure, um, and you kind of sometimes use that to your own advantage, perhaps, in wicked ways, uh, but everybody's kind of in these relationships, and what it's helpfully kind of acknowledging is, is well, yeah, know, we're all called to be creatures of submission. We're all called to that. And I love that. In fact, actually, that's reflected even in the leadership of this church where you cannot become a member of this church without swearing submission to the leadership, and you cannot be an officer without swearing to the Lord himself, submission to your brethren. In fact, actually, our presbytery goes so far uh, as to say all pastors, all teaching elders have to re-sign our names every year to our vows of submission to remind us what we believe and what we hold. We're all called to that. So it's not just uh, that when, you know, it's not fair. Okay. Now, move to the next verse. This is where kind of really the rubber hits the road. So far, we'd probably be okay with this. This hasn't asked too much of us yet. We can kind of engage this and go, okay, maybe I stepped on my toes a little bit just because it's told me that I'm not in charge, I'm not my own boss, but 24 is where it really starts to get uncomfortable. Now, as the church submits to Christ, again, there's our model, our learning lesson, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And oh no, we have a modifier that changes the whole kit and caboodle, doesn't it? It does not say, now as the church submits to Christ Jesus, so also wives should submit when they agree with their husbands. That is not actually that big of an ask, is it? To say, well, when we agree, (laughs) it it makes me giggle just the thought of that where it's like, well, I, I don't have a problem submitting as long as we agree. It's like, friend, that's not submission. Submission is really dealing with the authority structure in the home when you don't agree. Will you entrust yourself to your God? Even in the authority structure, He's placed there with you. Now, the in everything means, I'm going to comfortably say, in everything that is righteous or in everything that is neutral. Right? Meaning if, uh, if the husband says, hey, we have to be members of a church. We can sort out together which church. We have to be members of a bible believing church. Okay, that's good. That's right? a holy thing. It's a righteous thing. Good. Go be submissive to that. Go sort it out. If the husband is like, hey, I'm going to have, have cornflakes for dinner tonight, not corn puffs. Like, okay, whatever. Who cares? All right, that's a neutral thing. It doesn't matter. If the husband's like, hey, we're going to go on a murder spree and murder a hundred, like, no, no, that's evil. That's not what we're called to. The, the, in everything here is specifically in regards to things that are morally right and things that are what we could say amoral, morally neutral. Definitely not things that are morally evil. You don't obey when called to evil. And again, how do we know that? Well, we've got the modifier in the first part of the sentence this time. Now, as the church submits to Christ, we submit to Christ in all things that are righteous. Even in all things that are neutral, we never submit to him to do evil. Now, that's very helpful because he'll never tell us to do that. But that's our relationship. Now, what's being described here and and laid out for the home is an authority structure. At the end of the day, who is in charge in the home? God is. That's who's in charge. And he has designed the home to function in such a way that for the authority function, husbands are the head of the household. Now, we have other parts of the scriptures which are much more complicated and challenge us, where he, he ties that into the very nature of creation. Um, you can get that in, in First Timothy, where it's because of the created order, and also in some fashion connected to the fall, which is extremely complicated. But that's the nature of the home. Now, important to note, that's not uh, talking about, again, value or merit or usefulness, but simply the authority structure. Now, I would make an important kind of note for all of us. That does not mean it's easy. In fact, actually, most of the time, the periods in my life in which I've grown the most spiritually are the times in which I'm called to submit to something by Christ that I don't want to submit to. Whether it be uh, bad news or hard circumstances or relationship that I can't fix, I'm called to be obedient, and I don't want to, and that chafes in my soul, and those are the moments that I grow, right? The old good preacher's joke that all of the growth takes place in the valleys, not on the mountaintops, right? The higher the mountaintop, the less stuff grows there. Actually, if you get high enough in the mountains, nothing grows there. You look at where every growth happens, is as close to sea level as possible. It's all the low spots. So this is not to say that it's easy for men or women, submission to Christ or even submission to uh, your husbands. And that then presents the kind of, I think, maybe way that needs to be talked about this a little bit more in the church is to say that part of our job as a church, part of my job as pastor, part of our job as a session is to help provide resources to learn how to do this well. Now we know in Titus two, one of the primary resources, and primary resources for young marrieds or for uh, young moms to figure out how to do this submission thing, are the old ladies in the church. Great gift to the Lord, or from the Lord, gift to the church. Sorry, got my prepositions wrong there. That that's one of the primary ways. Titus 2, 3, and 4, there you have it's designed for younger women to figure out how am I supposed to do this thing? Because it's confusing and it's difficult and it's really hard. And honestly, it would be so much easier if there was some kind of reference to the husband's competency, right? It would be so much easier if it was like submit to your husbands and everything when they're competent and not a buffoon. But it's not there. And so, really, it needs to be kind of a part of the thought in our minds to say, part of our job as a church is to help each other figure this out. Uh, young folks in the room, it really is helpful to know that there are people in here who have been married more than 40 years, uh, pushing 50 for some, and have figured out this a lot better than some of us that haven't been married that long. Learn from them. That's, that's what God has designed for us to do. Okay, that's your uh, women's section. I'll move to the, the husbands here. Now, we, we have a, a very significant change, right? The, the, the wives, it's three short verses, and it's largely dealing with an authority structure that has very few limitations placed upon it, if we're going to be honest. Now, I, I'll be upfront front and saying, if you've got to call the police, you call the police. If you can't call the police, you call me, I'll call the police. That's, I, I have no problem doing that, right? I've done that in the last year. I have no issue. Okay, what happens here, though, in the husband's section, is not an issue of authority. It's now an issue of culture in the home. The husband actually is called to dictate kind of the ethos, the culture, the vibes of the home. What what is it going to be like inside the home? Now, that's weird because we tend to think of the home being the thing that the wife controls, right? I do not decorate my house. I couldn't if I tried. It would be awful. That's been something delegated to those, uh, the wife that has such lovely sense of taste and such. Uh, But interestingly, what we're going to get to is it's actually the husband's job to set the tone for the entire home. And this is what it looks like. Husbands, love your wives. Boom, done. Love your wives, That's going to shape the entirety of the household as the starting point of love your wives. Now, again, uh, this is the point where some, if you're honest, now, again, we like to be honest when we're reading the Bible, bad to lie when we're reading the Bible. It kind of doesn't do well for us. There are some of us that read this and already in the pit of our stomach, we're like, it's just not fair. I have to submit and all he has to do is love that's dumb. Well, okay, maybe. But let's look at how God defines love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and died for her. Oh, well, that suddenly gets far less convenient, doesn't it? All you have to do is submit. All we have to do is die. And I'm honestly going to tell you, if I got to choose between the two, I'm not choosing this one. I mean, right? Live to fight another day. If the government comes to you and says, hey, look, you have the option of submitting or dying, which one are you going to choose right at the moment? And I guess the issue is, uh, what are you submitting over? And okay, fair enough. Obviously, I'm being tongue-in-cheek. Don't take it too seriously, please. Husbands, love your wives. How do we love Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. It's a, it's a dying love. A self-sacrificing love. You hear me say this all the time when I mean, we talk about the gospel to say it costs you nothing, but it cost God an immense amount. Cost him in life of his son. And it's one of those things I think that probably you don't fully understand until you become a parent. And to think about how many thousands of dollars you pour out upon your children with them having no idea that you've done it and you're not mad about it at all. In fact, most of the time you wish you just had more thousands of dollars that you could pour out upon your children even more. It'd probably be bad for them, which is why the Lord doesn't give it to you, but you would if you could. That costly love that we we love to give and we know that it costs us something that's okay But interestingly, it sets the tone for the home, the tone for the marriage. It's a a husband that loves his wife in a way that could perhaps even lead to his own death. It cost him something, not her. Now, obviously, this is a principle, I think, that can be over-applied and actually, I think, could really turn quite nasty if done incorrectly or in an imbalanced fashion. But I tend to think that kind of within the right confines and balance, what this means is that the husband leads in a way that if somebody has to pay the cost for a decision, it's him that pays it, not her. That's what it means to love his wife, is that when he's using that authority that the Lord has given him, he, in so much as he can, pays with his own currency and not hers. Meaning that in my home, If I've got to make a decision, Nikki and I can't agree to it, and somebody has to pay an emotional consequence for it, I wanna be the one paying, not her. I wanna be the one that's suffering, not her. I want her place to be as safe and protected and cost free as is possible. Now, again, can this be done badly? Yes. Can you go overboard and destroy your own? Yes, absolutely. So this one has to be applied with imbalance. But The idea, again, that the cost is paid by me, not her. Now, uh, I have to go fast. That's kind of the definition of the love that's presented here is pursuing their good in such a way that uh, it's not uh, for their destruction or even for their cost. But then you get to see that really that love is also directional, Uh, It's the difference between a line and a vector, right? A line just kind of continues and both in a vector moves in a direction. Here we get to see that husbands love their wives. It's not simply an issue of we have to do whatever makes me happy or you have to do whatever makes me happy. Worse yet, uh, it's not about me being happy. In fact, actually the vector, the, the direction that that love has to take is, and I I think verse 26 is really where this passage, I think it's really hard. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for self-sacrificial love, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So, Christ died was raised so that the church would be made fully, totally righteous and beautiful. He paid the cost so that she would receive the benefit, and that benefit would look like righteousness. What's being described here with this without spot or wrinkle or any such thing does not talk about Botox Right? It's not talking about, you know, husbands need to have the constant account so that the wife can get a facelift every time that she wants. or what, like, That's not the type of beauty that's being described here. It's to say that his love is directional in that it is designed to be leading her and to be leading the home into the righteousness of Christ. Not his righteousness, because he has none. He's a sinner just like everybody else. But instead, his love has a purpose. Now, this is extremely different because if we kind of go into our own cultural moment, ask that question, what is love? Some of you already have the Wretched Song in your head, and yes, I did do that on purpose. You can enjoy that for the next several hours. If we have to go define what love is as a culture, really, our our definitions are almost entirely either sexual or chemicals released in our brains. It's either endorphins or some version of just kind of happiness. And it's interesting that the way the scripture says, no, really love is that active commitment to pursue the things that will pull us into righteousness together. In how we talk, in how we think, in how we feel, and in how we act. It's a directional, self-sacrificing love. And this is the point usually where the husbands don't ever say anything because husbands don't ever say anything. That's not what we do, right? Our wives do the talking. We do the <laughs> other things, I guess, but this is the point where the husbands are quietly stewing in their seats often and saying, you know, honestly, it's just not fair. I mean, all she has to do is submit, and that's easy when I have wisdom like I do. <laughs> hey. But what do I have to do is I'm called to love her in a way that, that costs me things. It might even cost me my life at some point. And I have to, to love her in a way that leads her not into the things that I want to do, but into the things that Christ wants to do. I, I have to lead her into righteousness. Uh, that, that just isn't fair. What, I, what about me? I want to get what I want to get. I love that. God kind of like, okay, okay. <laughs> Answers that immediately. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Okay, illustration number two. He loves his wife, loves himself. No one ever hates his own flesh, but nurses and cherishes just as Christ does the church uh, because we're members of it. interestingly, why does he then kind of provide reason for why should we love our wives this way? Well, because it. That one flesh concept, it's part like it's loving your own body. And honestly. When we take care of our own bodies, we enjoy life better, right? We enjoy life better. Some of you perhaps did that wonderful college experience where, for whatever reason, it seemed good at the time, you decided to functionally stop sleeping for four years. And you get out and you get a job, and once you get that job, you actually settle into a routine, and okay, it takes a little while to get used to it, but then you wake up one morning and you're like, I don't feel like death right now. And I don't know why, because I felt terrible for four years straight. Well, yeah, you didn't sleep. You ate junk food, going to drive to McDonald's at four in the morning and thought that was a good idea. And you felt terrible for it because you weren't taking care of your body. Now that you're taking care of your body, shockingly, you feel better. Shockingly, you're doing better. Shockingly, you're having more fun. There's an element of that's actually the kind of answer that is provided in the Scriptures for when we want to kind of get all grumpy and start pouting, to say, well, what, why do I have to love my wife like this? And it's interesting, the answer that Paul gives is, you're going to have a better life if you do it. I mean, obviously you should do it because you're honoring God, but that's interestingly not the primary reason that's often given for obedience. Realistically, every command in the Scriptures could say, go do this because God said so, and end with that. But God knows the kind of people that he made and very rarely does he ever do that. Most of the time he says, go do this because it's good for you. Go do this because it'll make your life better. Go do this because if you don't, you'll be miserable. He he provides reasons for it. And interestingly, here you have this love your wife in this sacrificial way that leads her into righteousness and obedience. Why? Because it's like loving your own body and the more you do that, the better off your life will be the better off your life will be. and Oh, that's kind of hard, but that's kind of fun. I I like the idea of having a better life. In fact, 31, and I'll end quickly. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. So we got to get the in-laws and the outlaws out of this. Uh, Have this family exist between husband and wife and then the children that God may or may not provide. Hold fast his wife, two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ. And, and yeah, I love it. He, he kind of says, oh, yeah, by the way, this, this whole kind of marriage lesson is really a lesson for the church in relationship to how they understand Christ. Uh, my college pastor, uh, he used to call uh, marriage, he, he would call it a sermon in shoes, And I love that. I love that illustration because it's the idea of it's teaching theology walking around in day-to-day life because what it's teaching is realistically, ultimately, part of how the Trinity himself operates, how God himself operates with one God and three persons constantly in relationship. You realize marriage is largely designed to teach us about the Trinity. But even in these things, this authority element it's teaching us how we relate to Christ and it's doing it in, in our most uh, intimate and serious and important uh, relationship and then it's also teaching us what love looks like and doing it within the confines of our most serious and intimate and significant relationship so that we can say, hey, marriage is about marriage but ultimately marriage is about God and the more I look at my marriage and the more that it's done the right way, the more it is about the Lord himself. Which is why you have verse 32, this mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. However, verse 33, uh, also submit and love your wife. Like, come on now. I, mean, I love how it ends, 33. Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see she respect her husband. Yeah, yeah, all the things I said, don't ignore those. Just jumping to Jesus. You still have to do them, but it is ultimately to teach you about Jesus. Um, This is one of those things we don't need to be embarrassed about. Now, I hope you notice, I always will reference, when I know a passage is going to be hard, I reference that before we start. And that's largely to give you a chance to emotionally catch up to where I've been all week. I'm known it's going to be hard. I'm known this one's going to be difficult for Two weeks is to give you a chance to emotionally catch up to that point. But the great reality and joy is when we come to this, we don't have to be embarrassed of God's word. This is a thing that I'm increasingly seeing happen, and this is one of the passages that it happens with, where we have kind of Christians' response to be this kind of hand-wringing, say, well, golly, geez, guys, I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, Well, uh, maybe the Bible might say, well, uh," and it's kind of hemming and hawing. no. No. The Lord has given us this because it's good. Because it's right. And because, oh yeah, what Paul says in Titus 2, this is what accords with sound doctrine. You want to see what theology put in practice is? It's this. Which I love, because one just kind of cheeky application and I'll end. What this means is that sometimes our greatest theologians are the old ladies who've mastered submission. They might not be able to articulate, you know, the hypostatic union or the glories of the most complex realities of Scripture, but they figured out how to submit. And they can show you what sound doctrine looks like. And I love that. Or the sweet old men who have mastered the art of loving their wives. May it be that we'd not be embarrassed of the word of God, but instead labor to be obedient to it. And in doing so, glorify the triune God who has saved us. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it makes demands upon us that we would never make upon ourselves. Uh, And we acknowledge even in that that we would not choose the good or the right in ourselves. We would choose self-indulgence and a self-indulgence that would result in misery. Would you please forgive us? And would you give us... um, the eyes of faith, to see your word as good as it actually is. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.